All right, amen, amen. Well, we can go ahead back to our seat, but y'all, can we acknowledge the fact that Jesus bench pressed depth this morning? Can we at least acknowledge that? Can we really give it? I'm, man, this 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 what I think. This is what I think right here. Ready? I'm just gonna put put a verse up. I'm gonna put a verse up. Maybe I'm gonna put a verse up. There we go. That's what I think though. So, so, so let me explain that. I think we believe in the resurrection, but we need help with our unbelief in the resurrection. Because if any of you had a family member who rose from the dead and you received word or news about it, you would not be this docile. You would not be this cool, this collected, this calm. That wouldn't be real. That's why I put that verse up there. Because we believe it, but we need help with our unbelief, beloved. Recognize that in the resurrection, there is no enemy that has any grasp upon you anymore. Who's the greatest enemy? What's the greatest worry? What's the greatest trial of your life if it's not death? Everything else leads to that. You have a bad prognosis, a bad diagnosis, it leads to death. We just turn off the lights. That wasn't on purpose. Here we go. Y'all thought we got cinematic on y'all. No, man, we don't, no cosmetics up in here. You know how we do. Good morning, y'all. Pastor Kanan, pleasure as always to be up here this morning. Um, I really want us to believe the resurrection. And I want us to believe it and understand the implications of the resurrection for you and for me. I think, and I truly believe this, I think we believe it, but we need help with our unbelief. Let me just give you an example. All of y'all believe that physical health is of the utmost importance. All of you believe that. You believe that you should be exercising and eating right. But you in the Whataburger line, though. Right? You believe it, but why is it not that your life bears fruit of it? You see, what it is is we believe and good health on paper, but we don't believe in good health in real life. There's a lot of things that we believe on paper. We believe that the Cowboys are gonna be good every year, but they trash every year. I say that as a patriot, I know where I'm at. Look, look, y'all about to leave the church? That's not a good reason to leave your church. We say that about prayer. Keep on praying, prayer works, but we don't pray. We believe a lot of things on paper, but we don't live in light of their truth. If we believe something, your life is changed as a result of its truth. You can't tell me you believe something and it doesn't bear fruit in your life. If it doesn't start here, impact here, and come out here, you believe it partially. You believe aspects of it. Maybe it's a good idea. It's a grand, it's a nice thing that has happened. Sure, you can believe that much of it, but to believe that is implications for you and for me, anything that you truly believe always starts with the head, transforms how you feel, and it comes out of your hands every time. See, we believe the resurrection with our heads. 
but I wonder do we believe it with our hearts and with our hands? We believe the resurrection on paper, but do you believe it enough for it to impact your daily life? Beloved, there's so many implications about the resurrection that we need to consider. Let me ask you this, going back to the idea of physical health. When do you start believing that you need to eat right and actually start doing it? In the face of danger. Right? When you, when you had that heart, whoa, what was that? Right? When, when that stomach pain is just nonstop, then, then all of a sudden, oh, okay, I need to go to the doctor. And what does the doctor tell you? They spent 1,500 years in school. You pay them $7 million for them to tell you what? Clean up your diet. Eat right, drink water. Did you know that? Why didn't you believe it? We believe things on paper, but we don't believe them in real life. Something deep and unfavorable or impactful has to happen, for most of us at least, for it to drive us to full-fledged belief. Something deep has to happen to you before you start giving your life over to this thing. And I submit to you that something impactful and deep and that has implications for you, no matter how much you have ignored it in the past, it has implications for you. It's funny, I know a lot of people who don't vote. You can ignore the voting line, but the people we put in power put in institutional laws that have implications for you. And in the same way, though you may not acknowledge or live in light of or believe or think that the truth that happened 2,000 years ago has implications for you, beloved, you are hoodwinked. You are bamboozled. There is implications for you. And there are great implications if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are terrifying implications if you are not. 2,000 years ago, beloved, Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross. He really died, y'all, to redeem us. And we ignore it, we reject it, kind of like how they did him. And we live our lives as if he didn't give his life for us. Beloved, I want this morning to be celebratory, but before we can celebrate, we have to realize that the crucifixion is on us. The resurrection is on him. That he rose from the dead despite us, for us. Once we grasp that, we celebrate. But if we don't grasp it, we'll keep it in our heads. It'll never change our hearts, and our lives will never walk in resurrection power. And my prayer is that we can walk in resurrection power. All of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read a passage from the book of Acts to you. There we go. Read, read with me in your, in your heart. It says this. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives life and breath 
in all things. From one man, he made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and boundaries of where they would live. Did y'all know that God does this? Verse 27. He did this so that we might seek God. And perhaps they might each, they might reach out and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. Verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are all his offspring. Since then, I mean, sorry, uh, since then, we are God's offspring. We shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human heart and imagination. But this is what it says. Based on that truth, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everybody by raising him from the dead. Amen. Beloved, 2,000 years ago, the creator of heaven and earth entered into the very world he created. He was ignored, he was rejected, he was killed by his creation. And in this 21st century America, we do the same thing. We believe him on paper, we ignore him, we reject him, and ultimately he's dead to us because anything we don't have a relationship with is ultimately dead to us. But the hard truth, no matter how much or how little we acknowledge him, is that the resurrection validates the person of Jesus. God provided proof of the person of Jesus by raising him from the dead, which means this, beloved, if there's ever been an inkling of doubt in your mind as to who the person of Jesus is, God's proof is raising him from the only enemy that the world has ever truly feared, death. This is how countries win over one another. They threaten what over them? Death. This is why when you go to the doctor and you have a, an issue and you have to get a scan for it and you're hoping to give you a prognosis that doesn't have the word death in it. The only enemy that we have ever truly feared is death. And God decided to prove that he has power over, his, over our enemy by raising him from the dead. Jesus bench-pressed death 2,000 years ago, beloved. And then he says, because of this truth. He is now commanding all men everywhere to repent because Jesus is who he said he is. And that also means that we are who he said we are. We are a broken people, a sinful people, a hurting people. Beloved, this is just true. I don't even have to convince you. Go turn on the news tonight. Easter Sunday, so-and-so was murdered. Easter Sunday, so-and-so lost their life. Easter Sunday, such-and-such such place was robbed. Bombs went off across the country on Easter Sunday. I don't have to prove to you that mankind is jacked up and in need of help. It's just there. You're guilty, and you're victimized of it all. God tells us who we are, and then Jesus validates himself by, raising, by being raised from the dead, showing us and proving to us that he is also who he said he is. And that's the first point I want to look at, that the resurrection validates 
the person of Jesus. Look at me in Romans chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. It says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. This is a beautiful verse, beloved, because this verse tells the tale of two lineages. It tells you that according to the flesh, Jesus Christ is what? He's a descendant of David. Who's David? Former king of the Jews. What's this telling you about Jesus? That he is of kingly origin, kingly lineage. The God that bench pressed death that we worship is in himself a king. Beloved, I know and I want to lift up my, my black and brown people, but I ain't calling none of y'all king. Because he's my king. He's my Lord. I understand the sentiment, lifting up a people. Of course there were kings in our lineage, but he's the king. He's the one we bow down to. Of his physical line, beloved, he comes from the line of David. He's the true king. And then it says, according to the spirit, he's what? The son of God. This is a concept called the hypostatic union, that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. He fulfills both in, in his own person. He's both king and Lord. One time. Now, this says something that may get you pondering. This says the word appointed. In verse 4, it says he was appointed to be the powerful son of God. And at first glance, it almost makes it seem as if God took the person of Jesus and lifted him to this position of being the son of God and the son of David. But beloved, that's not what the word appointed means. Appointed here is uh, harizo. I'm going to show you this. Hold on. I'm going to show you this. Come on. That's Satan. Watch, it's going to go like four or five screens now. Hey, Jaden, click the next one. Good looking out. You're going to be my clicker. I'm going to still use this for the... Horizo is the same word where we get our word horizon from. It means to mark off with boundaries. It means that what the resurrection did is it showed us clearly who he actually was. When there's a declaration made, the declaration is of something that already existed, already exists. He was declared, marked off with boundaries, highlighted, fixed, shown, declared. It was predetermined as such that he would be the son of God. That's who he is. It reveals who he truly was. If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, he can't make any claim to being the son of God. But he rises from the dead as proof to show that he is the son of God, and he's also God the son. Look what he says in, give me the next slide, Jay. You're going to have to keep that in your lap. Look what Jesus says of himself. He says, if I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My father, about whom you say he is our God, he is the one who glorifies me. You don't know him, but I know him. And if I were to say, I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews replied, you aren't even 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. 
Now, beloved, Jesus is not just simply making a statement that he existed during the same time as Abraham. If you remember in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses wants to know the name of God, he tells him that he is I am. And so when Jesus makes a statement saying that he is the I am, they understand what he's saying. He's claiming to be Yahweh. They don't like that. What do they do? They pick up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was dipping and dodging and moving and he hid and he went out of the temple. I don't know how he escaped. I always wonder in these verses. Beloved, Jesus is telling us who he is by claiming a light identification with the I am. Jesus is telling us that he is God. And we can believe him. Now, if Jesus was lying, like he said they were doing, he wouldn't have rose from the dead. Jay, give me another clip. Because if he lies, he sins. And the scriptures say that the wages of sin is death. So if Jesus lied, Jesus sinned. Now, let's keep the equation clear. Lying equals sin. Sin equals death. But Jesus rose from death. What does that tell you? Jesus didn't lie. I mean, Jesus didn't sin. Therefore, he was not lying. Make sense? Look what else Jesus is. Give me a click, Jay. Look what else Jesus claims of himself. He says, and these are his words, he says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says that he's the giver of eternal life. Sound like deity to me. He says he's the forgiver of sins. Sounds like God to me. He says that he's the judge over heaven and earth. Sound like God to me. He, sounds, he says that he's the Messiah, the Savior of the world. These are things that Jesus claims of himself and beloved. By his raising from the dead, he validates the truth that he is these things. Where else will you go for your help but the Savior of the world, the judge of heaven and earth, the forgiver of sins, the giver of eternal life? He's the way, the truth, and the life. You know what that means? It means he's the way because he's the truth and the life. That's grammatically what it's saying. He's the way because he's truth and life. Therefore, he's, he's the only means by which we get to the Father. John 14 will tell us that later. The resurrection validates the person of Jesus. So the first point is this, if you doubt who the person of Jesus is, know that his rising from the dead has stamped him. God the Son and the Son of God. Redeemer, Savior, giver of eternal life, forgiver of sins. If you need help for anything, that's the one you go to, the powerful I am. The second thing the resurrection does is this, it guarantees our justification and forgiveness. And I praise God for that. Give me a click, Jay. Paul is speaking here, and he says, righteousness will be credited to those. If you remember, we read all of Romans 4 a couple weeks ago. This is the end of it. Righteousness will be credited to those who believe in him, who raised, to believe in him, who raised Jesus from the Lord, from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This verse 25 is telling us something, but 24 tells us something first. It says, those who believe in the one who raised Jesus from the dead we shall be credited righteousness towards us, right? That's, that's, a, that's a good act. We are clear in the sight of God if we believe these things. And then he says that he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, oftentimes, beloved, we read this verse and we read over it quickly, but you've got to look at it slowly. What does it mean that he was delivered up for our trespasses? Now, I know you know what it means in your head. Oh, is he crucified? Sure. But, beloved, have you ever read the accounts of Jesus' crucifixion? 
and allowed that to sink in and understand that he was delivered up for your trespass. Beloved, I want us to read an account of Jesus' crucifixion that took place 700 years before the Lord Jesus was even born. Isaiah 53. Starting in 52, it says this. He says, see, my servant will be successful. Stop right there. God has already given us a promise. Y'all see that? Already, no matter what's to come, he's about to succeed. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man, and his form did not resemble a human being. Beloved, that happened on Good Friday. So he will sprinkle many nations. He grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root of, of, out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. Beloved, it's simply saying he, he wasn't this big, gargantuan man of great stature. It wasn't what, you know, Gaston. Like, he didn't look like the heroes in, in our comic books. He wasn't the big, bad bo boogeyman that we see in the, in the comics. He was just a dude, it look, he looked like. But verse 3 says, he was despised and rejected by men. He's a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. This is God they're talking about. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself, wow, y'all see that? He was like someone people turned away from, and he was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness and carried our pains. Who does that for people who turn away from him? But we turn and regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. Give me another one, Jay. He was pierced because of, put your name right there. Okay? That's your name. Our, that's you. For our rebellion. Crushed because of, put your name again, our inequities. Highlight this. For our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned our own way. Beloved, that's what the world tells us every single day, is to bet on ourselves and go our own way. You see that? This 700 years before Jesus even came. Do you, it says. And be following this nonsense. All like sheep have turned away. And the Lord punished who for that? Him. For the inequity of us all. So let me get this straight, God. We turn away from you and you punish your son? Yeah. For those who have faith in his name. Verse 7 says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb led to slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment, and who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living, 
and he was struck because of my people's rebellion. Jay, give me another one. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. Beloved, that sounds so weird. Why is God pleased to crush his son? That sounds almost sadistic. He's pleased because in the crushing of his son, his son will bear fruit that God may have many sons and many daughters. And that he knows that in himself he has the power to raise up his son from the grave. And so God gets many sons and daughters in his only begotten, only unique son. It says, by his knowledge, right there, my righteous servant will justify many. What was the very beginning of this? He says, what? My servant's going to be what? Successful. Guarantees. What does he do? By this knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. Beloved, let me give you a test. What's the definition of justification? We don't learn about four or five weeks we've been putting it up. What is it? Being made right before God, right? We are justified because of what Jesus has done. We are made right with God because of what Jesus has done. And that is the greatest need of all of human history. Bump everything else. If we don't want to be sinners in the hands of an angry God. I'd rather have anything else than to be a sinner in the hand of an angry God. But Jesus justifies God's wrath for us so that when we come before him, he doesn't see our sin anymore. He sees the beauties and delights and, and, uh, and approvals of his son on us, purchased by blood that was prophesied 700 years before his son would enter human creation. It's beautiful. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion. That's us who believe. And he will receive the mighty as spoil because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for us who are rebels. Beloved, when it says that he was delivered, leave that up there, Jay. It says when it says he was delivered for our trespasses, that's what it's talking about. That he was beaten beyond human semblance, yet he was successful in his mission. And then it says he was raised for our justification. Go ahead, Jay, give me a click. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. This is what it says. Therefore, because Jesus was raised, he is now able to completely to save those, he is able to save completely those, uh, those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. We have a perpetual intercessor in the heavenlies for all of our sin, beloved. The resurrection guarantees our justification and forgiveness. Now that's good news. Jake, Jake, give me a click. The third thing it does, the resurrection validates our message and our faith. Give me another click. 1 Corinthians 15 says this. Now, beloved, if you don't know, 1 Corinthians 15 is a grand chapter on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And Paul's making this big, big thing about the resurrection. You need the resurrection. The resurrection is everything. Beloved, in our faith, there are three events that are absolutely huge. Jesus' birth, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection. Notice you're not in any of those. It's all about him. We celebrate his birth with Christmas. We celebrate his death during Good Friday. We celebrate his resurrection during Easter. All of this points us 
to him. Without those three things, beloved, we are still in our sins. If he does not come, we're in our sins. We have no savior. If he does not die, no one satisfies God's wrath on behalf of us in our sins. And if he's not raised from the dead, we cannot be raised from the dead. We have no justification. God has not been satisfied with the sacrifice of his son if he doesn't raise his son from the dead. We need all three. And they're beautiful and they're celebratory and they're amazing. But I think, beloved, we believe them on paper. Because the story of his crucifixion should break you because you did that. We believe it on paper. Because if that was your child who was crucified for your sin, you wouldn't act all calm and Gucci about it, would you? You would be emotive to some degree. Broken to some degree. Agitated to some degree. Beloved, we got to stop believing things on paper and believe things from our heart to our head to our hands. And I wish I could force that on you, but I can't. Only the Spirit of God can impress these things on you. It says, if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And so is your faith. If Jesus has not been raised, our proclamation is in vain, and so is our faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Beloved, this is why I say that justification is the most important thing for you. Because if you are still in your sins, you are a sinner in the hands of an angry God. We can, this verse is telling us Something, if it's, not do, if it's not doing anything else for us, it's motivating me to be able to share the good news of the gospel with anybody I'm around. Why? Because Jesus did rise from the dead. Therefore, my proclamation is not in vain. It's powerful and it's able to save. And that means my faith is not in vain. It's effectual and able to save. Beloved, if you want to be uh, confident Study the resurrection. If you want to share your faith boldly without fear of someone asking a question that you may or may not know how to answer, lean someplace, lean on the resurrection. You can say whatever you want about everything I'm saying, but if I'm saying Jesus rose from the dead and I can hand to you not only biblical truth, but actual tangible evidential proof that the world would accept, you can't say nothing else to me. I'm following the one who conquered death. Who are you following, that dude that's decaying in the ground right now? that dead philosophy that ain't serving you right now too well? I'm serving a God who's living, who rose from the dead. Beloved, that's our confidence. You should have no fear of no man saying anything about anybody that you believe. If you are following that dude, that dude bench pressed death on the third day. You got confidence in that. No one else does that. Our faith is not in vain, beloved. In a couple of days, I'm going to put together a resource list of, uh, of um, books on the resurrection that you guys can pull from, get some links, pull from them, and read and study the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it's beautiful. In fact, I have a dear relationship with the resurrection because the Lord used the concept of being raised from the dead to save my soul, personally. Give me a click, Jay. This is the verse that the Lord used to save me. When I was in 2005 is when the Lord saved me. And I was, I was scared of hell, but didn't know what to do about it. That was my only motivation at the moment. 
and I was told to read the God. Come on, y'all. Y'all know y'all been there. But that's not redeemable. You scared the hell all you want. So I, I was told to read the Gospel of John. And as I read through the Gospel of John, I stopped being afraid of hell, and I started just falling in love with this Jesus dude. Because I'm like, this Jesus is the real deal. I don't know what everybody else is talking about, but I'm loving what I'm seeing from him. These Christians are hypocrites, but this Jesus is the real deal. At least that's how I was feeling when I was reading. And I'm reading it, and I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by it, and then my eyes land on John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. I don't care what any of y'all say. Y'all afraid of death. If you are not in Christ, death scares you. Death is your greatest enemy. That's what you're trying to avoid day in and day out. That's why, that's what you, that's who you're running from. It is nothing for him. He says, even if you die, as soon as I read that, my mind went back to all my homies who died on the block. I remember seeing them in the casket, and I'm thinking, if they only believed one day they would rise again to life. And I was like, that's going to be me. And then in verse 26, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yeah. I don't care what nobody else says. I believe you. How can I believe him? How can I be so sure? Because he rose from the dead himself. He bench pressed death. I'm sorry, y'all. He bench pressed death. And he died because of me. Y'all see? Y'all see why the resurrection matters? This, this mug is real, Doc. This ain't a game. This ain't something that y'all can just play with. Your life is at stake. You will lose your life. No matter how hard you fight for it. You can do you all you want. You will rot in the grave. And no one will remember your name. No one will remember your hustle. No one cares all that you did. Sins crucified the only means of our salvation. And he died that we would have life, that I would have life, that you would have life. And he proves it by raising his son from the dead. Beloved, there's not too many individuals in the world who are able to disprove. No one's disproved the resurrection yet. There's some decent argumentation. How do we know? Well, history, history is short, but the tomb's empty. No one finds the body. Because if Rome wants to squash it, they go, here he is. Look dead to me. Why can't they do that? Why can't they produce a body? Because the body's in glory. Raised from the dead. Telling everybody if they believe in him, glory. My bad, y'all. I didn't mean to get like that. Give me a click, Jay. This is what the resurrection does. It validates our hope. Hope is the most powerful substance because it's how you endure. The only reason you're able to make it day to day through whatever it is you're struggling through, and I don't even pretend to know what you're struggling through, but you know you're struggling through something, is hope. Because you have hope. 
Hope is what keeps us from despair during hard times. Hope is the sustaining energy of our soul. Beloved, during chattel slavery, my ancestors only survived because they had hope. That's what kept them strong, was hope. Hope that one day the suffering would end. Hope that one day their freedom would be realized. Hope that one day they would be able to stand before God and hear him declare that they are valuable in his sight, that they are beautifully and wonderfully made. Hope. Beloved, there's no hope apart from him. You have good tricks up your sleeve, but you have no hope. You can have well wishes. Well, I hope things are good. You have no substance. Listen, your hope and your faith is only as good, in the, is only as, good as the substance you put it in. You can hope all day long and hope, but that in and of itself is not enough. You have to hope in something that has the fidelity to hold you. That's when hope is strong. You can hope so-and-so did something. If they have the strength to do it, your hope has fidelity. If they don't, good luck. You can have faith in faith, faith in whatever you want, but if whatever you're having your faith in is not strong enough to actually do what you have faith in it for, good luck. I can have faith all day long that I'm going to fly, but I, can do, I don't got the, the, the faculties to fly. Faith and hope ain't getting me nowhere. But I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. I know he has the power to redeem and my hope is in him, not in anything or anybody else. And it's no doubt that this verse that we're about to put up, put up the verse, Jay, this verse is what gets people through. Beloved, if you're suffering, highlight that in your Bible. It's not hope that everything's going to be all right. No, it says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Some of y'all need that. I need it. That verse is highlighted in my Bible. Because I'll be struggling, I'll be suffering, I'll be in pain. And sometimes I'm like, Lord, take away the pain. And sometimes he's like, no, just compare it to the glory that's to come. Remember what I'm going to do for you. Remember what I've already done for you. These slaves were physically bound, but they were spiritually free. All by faith and hope in a powerful resurrection. Give me a click. I want to read this verse. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Give me something. Give me some, something to hold on to with that hope. How? What? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's where the hope comes from. Y'all see that? He's not just saying he gives us a strong hope and hope. No. He says, I give you a hope through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honor, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Y'all know, because Pastor Eric has taught us for the last couple years, Peter's writing to a, to a hurting, suffering people. 
And he's saying, have hope in the resurrection in the midst of your suffering. Verse 8 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of, the, of your faith, the salvation of your souls, beloved. The resurrection validates our hope. Beloved, I could go on and on talking about the glories of what the resurrection does, but the question remains, are you going to leave here the same as you came in, fooling nobody but yourself and believing the resurrection on paper? Or... Will you promise to take to heart the realities of what the resurrection means for you and not leave here until you have done that business with God, that he would truly open your eyes? Man, I can't hold it together today, doc. Y'all... Y'all don't know my week, bro. I've been struggling this whole week. My prayer alluded to it at 9 a.m. when we pray at 9 a.m. out there. I've been struggling all week. I've been struggling with my own thoughts and emotions, which has ultimately caused my wife, who was holding me down, okay, you all right? I got you, I got you. And I'm just, ah, and all of a sudden, now, now she's feeling some kind of way because of me. Y'all know what that feel like. And then I got this whole time where I'm like, yo, I got to write this sermon. But the whole beginning of the week, I'm sick through food poisoning. And then come Thursday, I don't know how I'm going to write this thing. And so I'm trying to write. And I got this, y'all getting writer's block. I don't know what I'm going to say. And I got this pressure because it's Easter Sunday. And I got to come up and perform. Y'all don't know. And then my eyes fell on John 11, 20, 25 again. It ain't my job to give y'all life. But it is my job to tell you the truth. And the truth is that if you have not placed your faith in Christ, you will die in your sins. But if you have, you have guaranteed that your faith has fidelity because he rose from the dead. I had to take solace in that very practically in my own life this week. Beloved, I didn't receive freedom until this morning from these things. If you trust in yourself, you will fail. If you do you, you will fail. Gain the whole world. You feel the whole when you lose your soul. This is why we do such grand things and we still feel empty. We still go home. There's still strife. We can't smile. We can't because either we don't truly believe the resurrection or we've forgotten amid hoodwink to not think about the implications of the resurrection for you and for me. I don't know what you're struggling through, but I'm telling you to point your eyes to that. The truth that though you suffer now, Jesus Christ, through the power of his resurrection, is guaranteed that you will one day stand with him, transformed and transparently stand before him with no shame. And he he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Or he will say, you did you, get your reward. Get away from me. I never knew you. Don't play games with your life, beloved. You only have one. Y'all remember just last week, y'all was 15? Y'all remember that? Just last week, y'all was 15, right? I was 20 two two months ago. I was 20 years old. Before you know it, you're 40, 50, 60, 70. Go by real fast. And there's no guarantee of tomorrow. 
Beloved, don't leave here until you've asked God to make the implications of the resurrection real for you. So that when someone says he is risen, you can't help but bail out your mouth. He is risen indeed. Father, thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for just giving us the opportunity to, to worship you. The reality is, Lord, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. That's the reality, Lord. Why don't, we, why don't we believe that? Why don't we walk like that? The apostles worshiped on the first day of the week because of your resurrection on the first day of the week. Here we stand, here we sit, Lord. And we believe you on paper. We come to pay our duty, our, our Sunday Easter duty. But is our heart far from you? Does it know you? Does my heart know you, Lord? Lord, I pray that we in this place wouldn't play the game of faith. That we would see it for what it is. It's life. Everything we do is for your glory or for ours. No in between. And I pray that that we would live lives, the people who are here, who have covenanted with you and with us, will live our lives to glorify you, Lord Jesus, with every ounce of our being. And that we would be a people who truly believe in the power of the resurrection. That would enable us to walk boldly, to be afraid of no man, to be afraid of no leader, to be afraid of no movement, no fear. Why? Because my Lord is raised from the dead and I'm in him. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, I can honestly say we don't have to fear no evil because you've conquered the only thing that we are afraid of. You bench pressed it on the third day. This morning, 2,000 years ago, some women went to a tomb expecting to find death. But you weren't there. And I praise God that you were not there. Thank you, Lord. Because that means you went through with it. The rescue mission for my soul and, and their soul was accomplished. And it was successful. And now we can stand before you justified. That's what I need, Lord. Thank you for loving me and following that through. Because I know, Lord, I would have quit a long time ago if it wasn't for your work. Be glorified, O King. Thank you, Lord, and I praise you in Christ's name. Amen.